This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? I've just about recovered from the most mental game I've ever watched or reported on or been involved in any way, shape or form when five goals went in in 17 minutes between Wrexham and Grimsby Town, which eventually finished 5-4 in the National League semi-final. Looking forward to going and covering the uh, the final at the London Stadium on, on Jubilee weekend. That'll be a laugh getting from uh, Barnsley, as I am, all the way into London on Jubilee weekend. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, it's good. It's nice to still be reporting on football, obviously, still covering Blackburn full-time, but doing the playoff games with Grimsby is good, so still getting to get my football fix. But yeah, that was an absolutely mental game of football and I've never experienced anything like it before. Five goals in 17 minutes and four of them were set pieces. I mean, you were there obviously reporting and I was watching it at home and even I couldn't keep up. So Lord knows how you kept up. I rewrote my match report about 94 times, just as I did. I thought it was... You, you mean you didn't break the 100 barrier? That's disgraceful. I probably did. I probably did. Um, but... On to Championship football. As always, we're going to be uh, having a look at the Championship player final, of course, taking a look at how that game unfolded. And we're also going to take a look at the six teams that will be entering the Championship next season and running the rule over them very early on. So, as always, remind us to subscribe to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So, George, Nottingham Forest, they are Premier League after beating Huddersfield Town 1-0 at Wembley in Sunday's finale. Um, I think the best way to do this is to talk about the game in in isolation and then break down the two teams' seasons overall and and what we expect next season as well. Because I don't want this to come across as though we're not going to celebrate Nottingham Forest, because we are, but we cannot not talk about the the elephant in the room and the, the two very controversial penalties that, that should have been. Um, as I say, Forrest deserved the promotion over the course of the season, but we've just got to talk about VAR, John Moss, and get that stuff out of the way because, in fairness, Huddersfield were robbed. Um, the first challenge, which is called back on Toffolo, it's not a die, first and foremost, and obviously Toffolo got booked, and, and that could have been controversial if he'd then got sent off later in the game for a second yellow. I think it's a penalty. I'll, I'll say that first and foremost. However, I can see why VAR may have not thought it was clear and obvious on the first one. Let, now, if I was there, I would have given a penalty. But I think it's quite close to the threshold of, is it clear and obvious? It, I think if you asked 100 people, I think you're probably looking at a 60-40. I don't know how high you want the threshold for VAR to be, maybe 70-30, 75-25. I, I think that's debatable in terms of whether it's clear and obvious. Now, Max Lowe on Lewis O'Brien, that is a stonewall penalty. A hundred people should be saying that's a penalty. There's no debate to be had about that one, and it should have been overturned. I'm a bit, I'm quite a big supporter of VAR, and I have always been, which I know is a, an unpopular opinion, but it's never going to work if you've got incompetent people running it. How someone can really look at that incident on the monitor and not think that's a penalty... Now, I really hope, and I don't even really want to say this, I really hope it is nothing to do with the fact John Moss was refereeing his final game because they should be sacked on the spot if that was the case. But I'm sure it wasn't, and I hope it wasn't. But you can't help but it spring to mind because that is a, just a cast-iron error. It's a penalty. I've seen some very weird arguments that O'Brien puts his leg in front of Lowe. I mean, he's got the ball. He's entitled to shield it, and Lowe kicks through him. It's a penalty. There's no debate for me. Huddersfield should have had a penalty, should have had two penalties, really. But there's no excuse for VR not to overturn the second one. I think the first one was a penalty too. I don't want that to get misconstrued. But when we're talking about is it clear and obvious, I think there's a debate on the first one. The second one's a stonewall penalty, George, and Huddersfield will feel very aggrieved to have not been given a spot kick. And in fairness to Carlos Corbran, I thought it was pretty magnanimous in defeat in the way that he could have absolutely hung the referee out to dry or VAR more importantly really at Stockley Park but he didn't but equally while saying he doesn't know how you don't give that when you look back at it yeah where to start I mean 
let's start with the first one, obviously, and go in chronological order. It's it's a penalty, there's no doubt about it. Jack Colback sticks out his right leg, brings Toffolo down. Um, I watched the game, obviously, and I, I just expected John Moss to point, to point to the spot. There was no debate to be had. I couldn't believe it when he when he pointed the other way and brought out the yellow card for Harry Toffolo. And obviously, with the introduction of VAR for the final, it was always going to get checked. And at that point, I thought, this is going to be overturned. It's going to be a penalty to Huddersfield. They're going to get the chance to get a route back into the game. And remarkably, it wasn't given. And it really does beg the question, why was VAR introduced for the Championship playoff final, the richest game in football, and it wasn't even put into use when it was needed more than ever to, to make the right call. I know you've mentioned there that obviously, is it a case of John Moss's last game? They don't want to overturn his decision. That That's not going to be the case, is it at all? That we, we're, into, we're into almost discussions of corruption or things like that if we get to, to that conclusion. But it was a clear penalty, absolute stonewaller for me. For the second one, Exactly the same. Lewis O'Brien, like you said, has gone to protect the ball. Max Lowe comes straight through him. It's a penalty. It doesn't even get checked. It right. really, really does beg the question to to me in the sense that why on earth did they put this in place for a game of such importance and they've not used it correctly? Huddersfield Town have every right to feel absolutely robbed. And if I was a Huddersfield supporter, I would have left Wembley on Sunday afternoon raging, angry, knowing that we could have quite easily had two penalties and potentially won the game and got promoted. So, Carlos Corbran, for me, was incredibly, incredibly calm for the situation. He could have quite easily come out. I'm sure if, say, Neil Warner could have been in that situation, he wouldn't have acted quite so calmly and and professionally, but he'd have been handing that, over his life savings in fines. <laughs> I mean, but that kind of epitomizes what Carlos Corberan's all about, in a way. I think for me, he he really conducts himself well. He he comes across well. He speaks articulately, and he's he's really professional. And then it could have been quite easy for him to completely lose his rag in his interview on on Sunday, but he remained calm, congratulated Nottingham Forest. And that, to me, signifies what the man's all about, an ultimate professional, and you can't fault him, even though inside, of course, he will have been absolutely disgusted with the uh, with the officiating for the two decisions. So it's just such a shame that after such a brilliant season that it's ended with such controversy at the end of what's been a, a memorable campaign for so many reasons, especially in the promotion shake-up. So in terms of those two incidents, well, obviously we'll talk about the match itself more in depth, but Huddersfield have every every right to be to be very very upset and very annoyed because had that been given, who knows how the game could have could have panned out. I will have to slightly correct you on one thing. It was checked. Every VAR automatically checks everything just because it doesn't appear on the screen. Don't mean so. It, it was definitely checked. There's my summer homework. Everybody. I don't know if that makes it better or worse. Ultimately, there's my um, summer homework. Brush up yeah. on my VAR knowledge. Yeah. So it, it was checked and. The justification from Stockley Park was that neither of them met the uh, the high bar that was raised at the start of the season, and it was it was raised at the start of the season. It was we were seeing a lot of things getting overturned that we didn't think were clear and obvious in the Premier League last year. So it was raised in the summer, and he felt that well, the the officials at Stockley Park felt that neither of them met the uh, clear and obvious threshold. That's just wrong, you know. That's just objectively wrong. It is a penalty, and. We've seen decisions like that. I know we're a Championship football uh, podcast, but obviously we watch the Premier League. We've seen similar incidents overruled, so there's no consistency there either. If we'd seen those sort of decisions not get overruled, we have done. Um, it was clear, a clear and obvious error, definitely for the second one. First one, I think, slightly more split, but I think it's a penalty. So, Huddersfield can feel really aggrieved. That's done. Now let's talk about the football. I thought first half... Huddersfield, we all knew they were going to go to Wembley and try and frustrate. You know, that was a surprise to no one that they sat back, they sat in a low block and they tried to restrict Huddersfield. Um, they tried to restrict Nottingham Forest, should I say, in central areas. They didn't let Brennan Johnson and Zinkenagel and, and Keenan Davies get much time on the ball. However, I thought they dropped too deep in the first half. I think it's okay to drop deep when a team gets to a certain point uh, in the pitch. 
But as soon as that ball goes backwards to, to Nottingham Forest's three centre-backs, you've got to push up the pitch and keep your self compact. And I thought they were compact, but that was only because Danny Ward was essentially in his own half and they literally had everyone behind the ball. I would have liked them to have shifted five yards up the pitch quicker after you know after Forest recycled play and went back to the centre-halves because Lewis O'Brien's brilliant at pressing and nipping in and around. And we saw Lewis O'Brien play up front quite a few times when Huddersfield went away to Fulham, for example, and they, they won that game 2-1. O'Brien played up front with Danny Ward because of his pressing ability and getting in and around the deep-lying Fulham uh, midfielders. I would have liked to have seen O'Brien engage earlier and higher up the pitch with Garner and Yates, but he couldn't because he would have left a massive gap. The whole team needed to shuffle five yards. And that's where the first goal, well, the only goal of the game comes from because Huddersfield don't get out quick enough after the ball's pushed back to Garner. No one can get a block in. And yes, of course, there's a touch of fortune because the ball lands, you know, it's not, I'm, I'm not convinced he picks him out. I think it's a, a put into a dangerous area is probably the best way of describing it. And it's a very unlucky that it comes off Colwell and goes into the back of the net. Good run beyond the uh, back line from Ryan Yates. But if Huddersfield had been a couple of yards, five yards higher up the pitch, and that was a constant theme throughout the first half, they might have got someone who could have got a block on it. And that was the only tactical critique I would have for that first half. Um, but then in the second half, Huddersfield were, were much better. They played more on the front foot. Nottingham Forest obviously naturally dropped deeper, defending a one-goal lead. But again, they weren't able to create it any big chances. They didn't even have a shot on target throughout the, the whole game. And I thought, Sanani didn't really get in the game or, or really make an impact. Dwayne Holmes, when he came on, didn't really do a lot. Um, Sorba Thomas was obviously the best outlet for them. He played on the left-hand side in the first half, pretty much to, to mark Jed Spence more than anything. But then in the second, moved on to the right and, and really had a go at Toffolo on a couple uh, on Colback, sorry, on a couple of instances and, and looked dangerous. But I also think the subs as well, that would be something with Carlos Corbrand. They were all like for like. And when you're chasing a game... And Huddersfield's best skill set is not chasing games of football, is it? It's getting in front and defending and being resolute and grinding games out and hitting teams on the counter. And when you're losing 1-0 in the playoff final, you know, they swapped uh, Sinani for Holmes, like for like. They swapped Rhodes for Ward, uh, which was like for like. And Russell came on for um, came on for Naby Sarr, which meant Jonathan Hogg dropped into the back three. Okay, that's a little bit more attacking but only you know it's right at the back end of the pitch I would have liked them to have maybe took off someone else and gone with Ward and Rhodes perhaps um, maybe Tsunami comes off and you keep Ward on the pitch in a in a slightly left channel um, with Rhodes down the middle I just thought they could have gone for it a little bit better especially when we know Forrester so good defensively and Huddersfield equally aren't the best at scoring goals and creating big chances regularly you know their, their skill set is doing what Forrest in the end had to do so that's not small critiques and it's fine margins that have lost in this game. They've been fantastic Huddersfield, but I, I think maybe Carlos Corbran will walk away from Wembley saying, could he have done a little bit more to chase that game? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And going right back to the very, very beginning of the game, I thought in the opening five or six minutes, I thought Huddersfield started quite well. They got on the front foot early and had a couple of bursts through the pitch through Lewis O'Brien. But once Forrest found their rhythm, obviously Huddersfield began to drop deeper and deeper and Obviously, that was that was what was ultimately the cause of the goal. And like you said, Huddersfield were always going to go into that game and essentially be the underdogs, weren't they? Forrest have got the, the better outlets going forward. They've got the more technical individuals. And it was always going to be a case of Carlos Corbran was going to try and probably go for a nil-nil as long as possible. But Huddersfield, at the same time, they didn't impose themselves enough, certainly, certainly in the first half anyway. And Forrest didn't really have a lot of defending to do. And let's be honest, for, for both sides, it was never going to be a final that was going to be littered with chances. They, they, they never are these sort of games. And certainly in the second half of Forrest, they barely created anything, did they? So it was kind of a tale of two halves, really. But Huddersfield just couldn't find a way through. But obviously, had they been given a penalty, who knows what could have been. But I think Carlos Corberan, if, if that game finishes, say, 1-0 to Huddersfield with the penalty going in, he gets his tactics absolutely spot on because he would have stifled Forrest. And for the large part, they did. Let's be honest, they did keep them quiet. Brennan Johnson wasn't as influential as he has been in recent months. Jed Spence had a couple of bursts down the right in the first half, but we didn't see much of Keenan Davis bulldozing his way through. 
a lot of Forest's attacking intent really came from James Garner, didn't it? Who I thought was really, really good well, in the midfield. Pretty lively down the right as well. Yeah, but Garner, I thought it was much improved from what we saw against Sheffield United in the second leg. He really stepped it up for the occasion. But for Huddersfield, like you said, obviously Sober Thomas in, in the first half, he got a little bit of joy in getting in behind Jed Spence. Second half, more often running at Colback. But overall, we just we didn't see enough of Huddersfield imposing themselves and flexing their muscles on the game. And their fans will be disappointed with that, I'm sure, because... At the end of the day, it's a one-off game. Obviously, neither team wants to lose. You can't go hell for leather in these scenarios. But Huddersfield could, for me, possibly opened up just that little bit more in the first half. They went too deep. They sat off too quickly. And ultimately, it cost them it cost them promotion, didn't it? But you've got to, at the same time, you've got to give credit to Nottingham Forest because they had to defend in the second half. And they did it pretty well. But obviously talking to a Huddersfield supporter, you're not going to be able to sway their opinion away from the penalty situations, which is understandable. But at the end of the day, they got into positions to draw two penalties. So on another day, they probably would have got them. So they're going to be annoyed. But I just think that the, their approach in the first half was what cost them. They, they, aren't, they weren't a side that, you know, were bad enough sort of thing to sit that deep. They could have imposed themselves a little bit more. They'd, exactly. They'd, that was, that's they'd the beaten They'd beaten Forest at the city ground during the season. Obviously, completely different kettle of fish, a playoff final, far more to lose. But we've seen from Huddersfield this season that they can compete with the best. I mean, they, they beat Fulham away from home. So they'll be disappointed, I think, that they just didn't quite open up a little bit more because they're, they're better than what they suggested in that first half. So they'll be annoyed with it. But you live and learn and ultimately... I think it was that that cost them. But at the same time, you've got to credit Nottingham Forest for the way they dealt with the pressure that was put on them in the second half. I think one of the things with Matt, what you were saying about the the tactics and, you know, if they won 1-0, it would have been spot on. You know, if, if Forest had scored an 80th minute winner and won the game in the same exact way it panned out, then I wouldn't be critical, really, of the tactics yeah. at all. It's the fact that you go behind in, what, the 35th minute or something around that. He's got all that second half. A bit half. later, wasn't it? First Something half. like that. 43rd minutes. He knows what scenario and they're chasing the game for a full half. He could have been yeah. a bit more, not proactive because I thought the subs were quite early, but I think a bit more adventurous maybe with the changes. I thought they could have left. I'd agree with that. With Rhodes. Um, but Nottingham Forest, promoted to the Premier League. They defended man- manfully, it has to be said in that second half, despite not playing at their absolute best offensively. After picking up one point from the first seven, they've been comfortably within the top three teams um, in the division, if not probably in the top two since since Steve Cooper took charge. be very intrigued to see how they fare in the Premier League next season, whether the loanees stay. Can they get Keenan Davies back, either on a permanent or a loan? Uh, I think Jeff Spence will get sold by Middlesbrough. Forrest will want to have a say in that. And what happens to Brennan Johnson? I think those will be big things that ultimately dictates Forrest's season. They should have uh, a bit of money to spend. You know, they've wasted enough money in the Championship, but with uh, Murphy in, in charge, things have looked better on the recruitment front and I think it'll be interesting to see what happens to them next season. But absolutely, you cannot dispute the job Steve Cooper's done. He's been absolutely fantastic. It looked like a good fit from the moment he walked in, if I'm being completely honest. I was really shocked at some of the scepticism from fans of Forest, but also from people who I consider quite knowledgeable about the Championship that, that seemed to dismiss the work he'd done at Swansea. I was really surprised by that at the time and ultimately that's been vindicated really. Um, but I think he's, he's been brilliant and I like the way that you can see his blueprint with players. He gives them responsibility. You know, I thought Joe Worrell's interview after the match was brilliant, speaking about how Cooper's given him you know, more, more skills to be a leader with grabbing out the team. You know, He's on the phone to him. They call him Coops rather than than Boss or Gaffer. So he's clearly warm to them. And I think he's the sort of manager that as a fan base you could definitely get behind and and he represents Nottingham and the football club really well. He's very well measured in the way he speaks. And you can see how as a football fan you would really love him to be the the you know the figurehead of your football club. And I think that's what Forrest have really missed for a lot of years. The biggest names have never been the managers. They've always been what's going on either upstairs or the players on the pitch because they've had relatively big stars for the division that have ultimately not paid off. Steve Cooper feels like a figurehead 
like a Jurgen Klopp or a Guardiola, who are the biggest names at the club. Obviously, I'm not comparing them in terms of quality, but I mean that sort of stature within the club. And that I think that's really healthy for a football club. And I think it's refreshing for Nottingham Forest. And it's great to see the likes of Brennan Johnson, Joe Worrell, players that have come through the Youth Academy, were born in Nottingham, be able to help this team get promoted. And I don't think they'll need major surgery next season. They'll need a left wing back. They'll need a replacement for Garner. They'll need probably two strikers, if one of them's Davis, and another one, more than likely. Um, maybe another centre-back. Depends how Steve Cook's legs deal with the pace of the Premier League. But I think Worrell and McKenna are good enough. I think Spence is good enough if he stays. I think Yates will play most games. Uh, they'll need a left wing back. And they'll need someone to play next to, to Yates as well. And they'll need probably another couple in attacks. But I think they're, they're well set. And I think there's a really nice story there. And I know a lot of people have harped on about Brennan Johnson and players like that. But they're just really good stories, no matter who the players are and uh, what the names of the club and the players are. And Nottingham Forest deserve to be promoted certainly since Steve Cooper came in they've been in the top three teams of the division this season totally agree couldn't really have put it any better myself I mean where to start Let, let's just try and sum up Steve Cooper I mean when you've been in the playoffs three consecutive seasons with two different clubs it proves that you're a very good manager you don't do it by fluke obviously you lost in the semi-finals two years ago with Swansea you lost the final with Swansea last year and now he's struck third time lucky winning the final with Forrest. And if anything, I think that's another part of the story in the, fa- in the fact that he's gone to another club and he's made it third time lucky. There is something incredibly special about him as a manager. I don't know what it is, but he just strikes me as being a really, really good manager in the sense that he seems to be a really sort of easygoing guy that he comes across well and you think, I could get on well with him. He seems a really nice fella. And as well as that, I think every single player almost that he's worked with has improved under him. He seems to be able to improve anybody. And let's not forget him, this Forest team, he only made about three or four signings since he's walked through the door. It's very, very little compared to obviously what was there before him. Obviously, he brought Sam Surridge and he brought Steve Cook in and he brought Keenan Davis in as the standout figures. To have then been able to like put a team together, the building blocks were already there to push on and then get them promoted. It's just remarkable. And obviously, when he walked through the door, they were bottom of the table. And I've seen a lot of people say, yeah, but they're only, they only eight games gone. You must think about that. What must the, the character and the mood in the dressing room have been like after such a shocking start to the scene? They must have been at rock bottom. So there's your first task, trying to lift the morale of the camp. You've got to introduce a style of play. You've got to get the players invested in it and, and believing in it. And then, you, then you've got to put it into practice, first and foremost. That's the most important thing. They've been brilliant to watch. They've been fantastic defensively. And you know, Elliot, that I've, I've harped on about Forest. I've almost adopted them as my second team this season, almost. I've just loved watching them. And there's so many performances that I look back on and think, they were a damn good side. I just think about the 4-1 away win at Blackpool that could have been a potential banana skin just before Easter. That 4-0 win over West Brom, the 5-1 win against Swansea, the 4-1 win at Swansea back in December, the 2-0 win at Blackburn in February was the was the game where I looked at them and I thought, they're going places under Steve Cooper. They really have got a good chance here. They were outstanding that night. And let's not forget how good they were in the FA Cup as well, breaching the quarterfinals. They gave Liverpool a run for the money. They battered Leicester. They beat Arsenal. It's just been a remarkable story. And obviously, we're going back many, many years now, but Nottingham Forest is a big historic football club. They've won two European Cups. They were part and parcel of the Premier League at the beginning. They are a historic club in this country and they've waited 23 years to get back for this. And it's taken a man that's come in that two or three years ago was a complete unknown to most people as a manager. And he's just, I don't know what it is, he's just found the... He's, he's almost found the guide to being a perfect championship manager. And I, for one, I'm really, really excited to see how he gets on in the Premier League because I think if he can cut it in the Premier League, he's destined for really big things in his career. And let's not forget, he's been part of the England setup in the past. They've rated him highly enough to give him a coaching role there. And he's he's just excelled in everything he's done. Yeah, he didn't get promoted with Swansea, 
but he improved them significantly. And obviously that's been proven this season with the drop-off from where they were last year. So it is a bit of a fairy tale story, really, because when you've won one of your first, whatever it was, first, first eight games, I mean, if you'd have told Nottingham Forest supporters that their last roar of the season would have been seeing Joe Worrell lifting the playoff final trophy at Wembley, they'd have probably laughed in your face quite, quite loudly. So, it's a real, real success story, this one. And you can, you can say about Huddersfield, obviously, they, they've enjoyed a remarkable season of them of their own. Finishing third in the table, that shouldn't be sniffed at. But they'd got building blocks in place at the start of the season. They didn't change manager. Forrest looked absolutely dead and buried. And I actually went back over some of our tweets last night on, on Sunday night and I found a, a little audio clip of what me and you said at the start of the season saying how Chris Hewton had failed to improve a single player during his time at the club and they looked doomed from the off. Eight months later, they're now Premier League. It's it's unbelievable and I honestly am so, so pleased for them. I might be a little bit biased in, in the fact that I've developed this bizarre love for Forrest, but I'm really, really pleased they've done it. And personally... I think I think they could really stabilise and establish themselves as a Premier League club against Steve Cooper. They're going to need to spend some money. There's no doubt about that. But my God, they've got a decent manager in place ready for it. Better love story than Twilight, George Smith. And I thought I was meant to be the massive Steve Cooper fan. I was before this season, and you. I feel, I feel like I've been. I'm uh, taking over, bench. mate. Yeah, I know. I feel like I'm third wheel. I'm taking. It's like your old romance with Romaine Sawyer's from years ago. He's out of contract. He's, he is. He's going somewhere. Um, <laughs> Huddersfield it's been a remarkable season to finish third um, I'm not going to try and not repeat myself by going into a spiel about Carlos Corbran for manager of the season I stand by it but it's unclear where they might be next year for definite I wouldn't rule them out challenging again definitely but when you look at the squad Lewis O'Brien will get picked off I will be absolutely gobsmacked if Lewis O'Brien is uh, Huddersfield town player when the transfer window closes because He's got a release clause in his contract, relieved to be about ten million pounds. I think that's a steal, to be honest. I think he's proven he's probably been the most complete midfielder in the championship this season, in my opinion. Yes, he doesn't score perhaps the goals or the assists of a John Swift or of um, other players or the set pieces perhaps of a, a James Garner, but I think as an all-round package, the energy, the pressing. He can do a little bit of everything. I think he's he's tailor-made for a Premier League club, so I don't think he'll be there. I can't see it. Levi Colwell's obviously going to go back to Chelsea. He might actually have a chance of playing, given the, the exodus of central defenders that they've got going on at Stamford Bridge. But that said, if they spend that money wisely and get a replacement for, for both of those players and use the remainder of that money to invest for some more quality at the top end of the pitch, because I think that's what they need. We've seen Carlos Corbran adapt a team that was absolutely porous, but could score goals last season into a, a really workmanlike, but very, you know, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, a, a quality team that finished third and amassed 80 plus points in the championship. Can he adapt them again next season with a bit more quality at the top end of the pitch to also be a team that can score goals and be a little bit and cut loose a little bit more at the top end of the pitch? I'm excited to see if they can. If I had to put a bet on it, I would say I, I wouldn't say they'll definitely finish in the top six next season. There's a lot to change, but that could change, should I say? But I can't see them falling out of the top ten or anything like that. I think they'll definitely be in and around the playoff mix, and we'll see how the summer goes in terms of O'Brien and where they invest as to whether I think that they'll be a definite top six team or even pushing for a, a top two team because I think there are building blocks where a good summer. Could see Nottingham Forest, uh, could see Huddersfield Town be a, an automatic promotion standard team. I could also see a bad summer where they finish eighth or ninth potentially. So I'm intrigued to see where they go for uh, go in the summer. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But obviously, the straight away the the big change is that obviously there's going to be an expectancy now. That's the thing. And is it going to be a case of if things don't go well next season, saying they they might go very very well? Who knows? Is Carlos Corbran ultimately going to end up being a victim of his own success? Because obviously they entered this season off the back of finishing 20th last season and all of a sudden they've jumped up to a third place finish within 12 months. It's been a, 
a fairy tale rise. And we've said, I've used that word a moment or two ago to describe Nottingham Forest, but Huddersfield, let's not forget over the course of the season, they amassed more points than Nottingham Forest, only by a couple, but they finished ahead of them. And they almost, almost like Forest, they captured the hearts of people with how well they did because it was totally unexpected. And they really have been a privilege to watch at times. Carlos Corbran, like I said, months and months and months ago, whenever he came into that club, it was always going to be a process to put his stamp on things, get plans in place and implement his style. If anything, I think he's ahead of schedule. I think he's done it incredibly quickly for what he had to work with. Like we said a few times at the start of the season, the summer business last year wasn't overly impressive. It was nothing to write home about, was it? It wasn't exactly eye-catching and attention-grabbing. But Bayek, it worked. He found a way. They all suited the system. Obviously, like I've said quite a few times in the last few weeks, they're not a team packed with top-end championship talent, but they're a bunch of hard-working lads that give absolutely everything for the badge with, obviously, flashes of quality thrown in there with Sorba Thomas and Lewis O'Brien. So, obviously, it's going to be an interesting summer for Ron O'Brien if he stays. There's going to be a lot of interest, and understandably so. I'd also expect there to be a fair bit in Sorba Thomas too. But if, say, Lewis O'Brien does move on, they get a decent fee for him, and that's reinvesting the squad, they could certainly up the ante in terms of their attacking talent because Danny Ward's done really well this season, but he needs somebody else around him that I think is a bit more of a flair player. Who's need top end champion? To double figures, don't they? Yeah, they they need they need basically a classy player that's quite quick, dynamic, skillful, good with the ball, bit of a bit of a playmaker. If anything, really, and that's they what they need. Lot, they cost a lot of money. They do indeed. That's the thing. You want these good players, but they cost the top dollar, don't they? And that's the thing. But Huddersfield, let's be honest, they've defensively they've got a good base to work with. I mean, Tom Lees has been excellent. Matty Pearson's been excellent. Levi Cole will obviously leave big shoes to fill. But Lee Nichols, they've got an outstanding goalkeeper in place for next season. And what's to say they won't be interested in him over the coming months? Very, very likely, considering how well he's done this year. But Carlos Corberan, regardless of what would have happened at Wembley on, on Sunday, was always, always going to end the season with immense pride and deservedly so because he's... T- He's taken a club from twentieth to third in, in less than a in less than a year, pretty much. So huge credit to him, done a terrific job. Very interested what they do next season, but I wouldn't expect a massive collapse from this. I think if they can just add one or two flashes of brilliance in places, I think they've they've got the resolute and the the determination and the passion. I think to go again. Not saying they're going to be nailed on for the top six, but I think they've certainly got a chance of being in the mix for. What, in my opinion, next season already, I think it is potentially going to be the most wide-open promotion and playoff race we've seen in years. I think it's so hard to call at the minute. But obviously, transfer business could change that as the weeks go on. But really, for Huddersfield, they'll be they'll be devastated by the result at Wembley. But what a season they've had and what a job Carlos Corbran's done. Outstanding. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So with the 2022-23 uh, Championship lineup all confirmed now, George, we're going to have a, a little flick through some of the new teams coming back to us, um, both relegated from the Premier League and those that have been promoted from League One in what's looking like a, just a, an open playing field for next season. We've got the summer window to come, which will obviously differentiate the, the runners and riders from those that are mid-table fodder and uh, relegation candidates, but it looks really wide open from the off, so... We'll start with the Premier League. Um, Norwich City, Watford and Burnley coming back to us. Uh, Of course, Norwich and Watford coming back at the first time of asking after promotion last season. Burnley back in the Championship for the first time in six years. Um, Two new managers in Rob Edwards and what looks like will be Vincent Kompany at Turf Moor. Dean Smith back in the Championship after his promotion of Aston Villa. So with Norwich, I think they're probably the best set um, if I had to put a bet on now, I would say they will finish the highest of these three teams. They struggle to make the grade at Premier League level again, but it's a squad with Championship experience. I think if I look at the squad and where the, the weaknesses are, I think they never really truly found a, a replacement for Emi Buendia, who of course was sold to Aston Villa. Rashika came in, didn't really have an impact. Maybe he'll stay and have a better fist of it at Championship level. I think a creative midfielder like Buendia 
uh, would be the first thing I would look to buy. You've got Dean Smith that has promotion experience, very good EFL manager. He's proven that. And then they, for me, would be the favourites um, of those three teams to finish the highest. Watford, new managers we've already discussed on the pod previously, and Rob Edwards. They've got a lot to sort out, a lot of players. It always feels like when Fulham and Watford come down, I have no idea when they're relegated what the team's going to look like in six weeks or ten weeks on the first day of the season. I feel like that again with Watford. Emmanuel Dennis will probably leave. Uh, Musa Soko will probably go. There's interest in Joao Pedro, who obviously did very well at this level um, a year ago. I think the defence needs some TLC as well. They were shocking at the back in the Premier League. Really, really bad. Uh, Trooster Kong really struggled, but he might be another one that can come back in and, and play at championship level. Seralta didn't even really play in the Premier League. I don't know what that back line is going to look like, really. I think Danny Rose is another one that will go, for example. Feminier will probably be at right back. Maybe Kane Wilson comes in. Who knows? Um, they need a new goalkeeper because Ben Foster's retiring. So there's a lot to sort out, and it really wouldn't shock me. In fact, I would I would bet that Watford will be slow burners like they were last time. You know, they really struggled to... They didn't really hit the stride till January last time out and then went on an amazing run under Cisco Munoz uh, to get automatically promoted. I hope that Rob Edwards gets the time to oversee that. And if they are 7th or 8th in November, nobody panics and they keep st- and stick with it. And then Burnley are the real, you know, the, they could finish 16th or 1st, I feel like, at the moment because I don't know how their summer will go particularly. Vincent Company's obviously a, a new name in English football in terms of as a manager. He'll take the reins. Things haven't gone amazingly at Anderlecht, it has to be said. Um, official announcement expected on that very soon. Probably could easily be done before this podcast is released as we record. Um, they've got a few out of contract. James Tarkowski's going to go. Maxwell Corne's got a release clause. I'd expect Veghors to go and Nick Pope as well. They'll be sold. So that will re- recoup a nice chunk of money. But there are big questions over the finances. There was a £65 million loan that was used as a leverage buyout from uh, Alan Pace and the Burnley owners to, to buy the club. That's now a, lo- a large chunk of that has got to be repaid after relegation from the Premier League. So there are question marks about what they can do in the market despite the parachute payments and despite if they can get suitors for Cornet, Veghorst, Pope and get the right money for them. I don't know how much they'll be able to invest because on paper they've got a good championship side but it needs some rejuvenation a little bit. And we don't know what style company is going to want to play even. Does he have the players available to do that? So I think of those three teams, George, as a quick overview, I think Norwich are the best set. They're the ones I'm most comfortable in saying will be a success next season. But there's definitely scope for both of those other teams to also be challenging at the top. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think, if anything, it's it's a very, very similar situation to the three teams that have left the Championship this season in terms of dropping into League One in the sense that uncertainty surrounds Derby. Barnes haven't got a manager. Peter have got a manager in place that knows League One inside out. So it's, it's almost very, very similar in terms of one of the three dropping into the Championship is, is best set. But I would agree with all of that. Dean Smith, even though he obviously he's experienced relegation with Norwich this season, the the troubles had already obviously set in well before. And it's not exactly an unfamiliar trend to see Norwich come straight back down and I wouldn't bet against them going straight back up next season and then coming down again. It just seems to be the cycle of Norwich City Football Club, doesn't it? Get to the Premier League and basically don't like it. We're, we're going to go back to the Championship. Watford, really, really interesting one. Obviously, we have no idea what sort of summer they're going to have. There's going to be a big change with the squad. But Rob Edwards, to me, suggests it is a change in tact. It's a change in approach. And it's one for the better in the sense that they've gone for a young, hungry English manager opposed to going to a to an old, experienced head that's a big name, such as Claudio Ranieri, Roy Hodgson, as we've seen this season. So Edwards will come in and he'll want to assess things and I would imagine want to try and get things done pretty quickly because I would imagine there's going to be a high turnover of players there and there's going to be a big wage bill, I would have thought, to shift. Burnley, I totally agree with that summary of where you said they could finish either 16th or top. I can absolutely see the sense behind that. The thing for Burnley is obviously they've got some big name players out of contract, such as Tarkovsky being the kind of the figurehead of that. Ben Mee as well, Vidra, Ashley Barnes, Aaron Lennon. But for me, I just I look at Burnley and I think that squad has been the same for far too long. It seems to have been the same team year in, year out. Now is the time for a reset. And obviously they're going to want to get back to the Premier League at the first time of asking. They've been up there for five or six years now. 
and they by and large have, have done very very well considering they've sent enormous amounts of money so they'll they'll want to get back at the first attempt but obviously for Burnley it's going to be very very difficult for them in the sense that they've been so used to one a way gamble to go for Vincent Company or should they be going for someone <laughs> with a little bit more championship experience personally I think I think it's worth a go. I think when you've had the same manager in place for so long in Sean Dyche, you can afford to take a gamble to perhaps jazz things up a little bit. And I think this summer, in the sense that there's going to be big changes in terms of the squad, I think it gives them that scope to just maybe test the water a little bit with Vincent Company. And he's he's done a decent job at Anderlecht. But the important thing is Vincent Company knows English football inside out. All right, he doesn't know the championship. But he's got a feel of English football, obviously having been so successful as a player at Man City. So I'm quite interested to see how that gets on. Should he get the job? Obviously, it's not officially done yet, as we record on, on Monday. But I think it could be quite an interesting one. But obviously, we've seen in the past where big big ex-name Premier League players have gone into management in the Championship and it hasn't quite worked. I always remember, always remember when Sammy Hippie got the job at Brighton many, many years ago and that absolutely failed miserably. But... Let's see, but Burnley, I think, like I said, I think they're at a point now where they need to mark the beginning of a new era. The squad's been together for a long, long time. I mean, you just look at some of the names. I mean, that Burnley squad, Jack Cork, he seems to have been there forever. And it's only 2017 when he joined them. It seems so much longer. Jay Rodriguez seems to have been there forever. Ashley Westwood. I think now's the time for a reset with them. And like you've said, if they sell the likes of Pope and Veghorst and Corney, it's gonna he's gonna bring in a decent amount of money, and they could pick up some decent players with that money if it's reinvested in the squad. So Burnley, very much one of two ways. Norwich, I would expect of the three to be the the most competitive from the off. Watford, I think they're in a position where they'll be looking to knock on the door, but might take them a few months. Burnley, who knows? Absolutely, who knows? But. It's going to be interesting, but I would I would agree with you. Norwich certainly the best placed. Yep, I agree with that assessment definitely. Three teams that came up um, from League One: Wigan Athletic, champions. Um, Liam Richardson's done an amazing job. Not first of all to save them, given the the problems that were going off the field to to galvanise that group. You know they stayed up by a point last season and nearly got relegated to League Two. Let's not forget that. But to then get the new owners in. And rebuild that squad, and they had about ten players registered at the start of this, you know, at the end of last summer. So to get everyone in, get them gelled together, and get them winning um, was an amazing feat for him. I'm intrigued to see how Will Keane does, given that he scored about ten goals in his career and then scored twenty five goals last year. So I'm intrigued to see whether he can continue that or it's a flash in the pan. Callum Lang, another player that hit just short of twenty goals, I think it was. From the right-hand side, I want to see if he can prove it at championship level because I think they're good players. I'm excited, particularly Lang. I think Lang could definitely cut it at championship level. But then they've also got, whilst they've got people like Watmar, um, Naylor, they've not got, that are good League One players and I'm intrigued to see them make the jump. They've also got players like Max Power that have played in the championship, James McLean, um, McGuinness as well. And Charlie White should be back for pre-season after his lengthy um, Derek were another one as well after the uh, the heart problem that obviously he had in training so good to see hopefully him back in pre-season and he was a you know I think people forget how big a miss he was on the pitch obviously his health comes first most important but it, you know they put a lot of their eggs in the basket of Charlie Wyke in the summer after the season he'd had at Sunderland previously so I think they'll do well I think Liam Richardson's a really good manager and again if I had to bet now I think they'll stay up Robin United here we are again Six years of promotion and relegation back to the back. Can they stay up this time? The big question mark is whether Michael Smith's going to stay after he scored 19 goals last season. Out of contract, won't be shy of admirers, particularly at championship level. The problem with Rotherham has always been scoring enough goals at championship level. To then lose your top goal scorer would be a massive blow. In terms of their most dangerous players, I think Benny's a really good player. I don't think he'll play at right wing back, which he played for the majority of last season. I think... Paul one will go with a more naturally defensive player, more of a full-back in a wing-back role rather than a very attacking winger playing at wing-back. So he'll probably play a little bit further up the pitch up, Benet. I think in midfield, I think they're well-stocked. Barlazer, Wiles, Rathbone, I think that's good enough to compete with most bottom-half championship midfields, if I'm honest. I don't think midfield's going to be an issue. It's scoring enough goals and creating enough goals. Ladapo's gone as well. He's signed for Ipswich Town today. So they've got to get at least two, if not three, strikers through the door. They've already signed Connor Washington, who, good player, hard worker, 
not guaranteed to get you 10 goals in the championship, sadly. And I know that's the market Rotherham are in, but if they want to avoid relegation, it's got to be the goal scoring that improves. Probably need another centre-back as well, um, I would say. Sunderland, Alex Neal has brought them back after four year wait, after a four-year wait. I'm looking forward. We've not covered them on this podcast, which is mental. Uh, beat Wickham 2 in the final, of course, and have only lost once in total since Alex Neal took the reins there at the Stadium of Light. Real turnaround since he came in for um, for Lee Johnson. Ross Stewart's the star man, isn't he? He scored the goals for them last season and he'll be hoping to prove his level uh, is worth at this level as well. The, the Loch Ness Drogba, as they call him up there in the northeast. I think if they go for a, a back three again, which was predominantly what they played at, under Alex Neal, although they switched it around slightly for the final and played with a back four. If they play for a back three, I think they could do with a left centre-back. Sirkin, who was on loan, um, more of a full-back, and I think he would get found out physic- you know, physically at championship level. It's very different playing full-backs at centre-back when you're the biggest dogs in League One. But when you go up that level, just like Rotherham will probably change the positioning of Ogbené, I think they could do with signing a left centre-back. They've got Danny Bart, who's got buckets of experience, and Bailey Wright. They'll be fine in the middle of that back three and on the right. And then it's what do they do in attack? Tying down Patrick Roberts will be important. He had a really good um, second half of the season there on a permanent. And Jack Clark, maybe another loan for him. He he tore Sheffield Wednesday apart at left wing back. Um, again, he's got to make that step up now to championship level if he's going to have a future in the Premier League and beyond. So that would be good business too. And they probably need some more goals to help Ross, Ross Stewart because um, Nathan Broadhead was on loan from Everton. I don't know if he'll go back there but they need either him or they need another striker. So I think all three of these teams could stay up. And if I had to bet now, I will tell you now, I think two of these three teams will stay up. I'm not necessarily saying which two, although I would probably say Wigan and Sunderland would probably be my picks. But however it comes about, I think two of these three teams will stay up at least, if not all three of them. I'm not overly convinced on Rotherham. Again, and it's quite surprising because obviously they've been such a good, good League One side in the last few years where they've been up there every single year, but the step up to the Championship just seems to be that little bit too much for them. So a big emphasis on recruitment for them this summer. Paul Warren, he's been a brilliant manager for them. He's done an excellent job. And really, I think even obviously we've become used to seeing them in the Championship, I think for the resources and things like that, they have punched above their weight for a lot of the last six or seven years. So there's going to be a big onus on them to get recruitment right this summer, particularly up front, as you've said. Michael Smith, to be fair, though, I've just checked his stats, 18 goals in his last two championship seasons, which not bad for for a team that's been relegated well, on both occasions. Them. I think other championship clubs will be in front. Yeah, there'll, there'll be a few. There will be a few because he's a big physical unit. There's not many players like him. Off. Yeah, and Paul Warren is a huge fan of him. We know how much he waxes lyrical about him pretty much every single week. But I think of the three that have come up, I think Sunderland are in the best position to kick on and stabilise in the Championship, purely because I think Alex Neal is a superb manager. I thought it was a bit of a coup at the time for Sunderland to get him in. And I'll be honest, as soon as Sunderland got into the playoffs, I did fancy them because he knows his way around that sort of scenario. He did it with Norwich and he did it with Hamilton in Scotland. So Sunderland, I think for them, obviously they're going to have ambitions of eventually getting back into the Premier League. They are a big, big football club, as we know, and they've been through a lot of misery, their supporters. But initially, the main objective, of course, is going to be to survive the drop next season and stay in the Championship. But there's going to be interest in Ross Stewart, like there is Michael Smith at Rotherham. So they need to keep hold of him. Selling him. I don't see them selling him. I don't see why he think- leave. Sunderland are in a better position to retain that sort of player than, say, Rotherham would be. That's for sure, because of the size and the clout of the football club. And I don't mean that with any disrespect to Rotherham at all, but Sunderland, they they are a bigger club than Rotherham. So if they can keep hold of him, which hopefully they will, there's been rumours that Middlesbrough and Sheffield United apparently are sniffing around a little bit. Sheffield, Ross United, Stewart, but, Sheffield United would not be buying Ross Stewart. They ain't got any money. But like you said there, I was literally just going to come on to say that obviously United obviously are in a bit of a situation at the minute where they don't know what they're going to be able to do recruitment-wise. And Sunderland, they're going to demand a big fee for a player that's just notched 26 goals, I think it was, last season. I would put a lot of uh, money that he will be leading the line for them next year. It just yeah, happen. I would, I would expect so. How that happens. And obviously to help him, Sunderland have got a player in Alex Pritchard as well, who is more than experienced enough to play in the Championship. He's got quality about him. 
Patrick Roberts, you hope they'll be able to tie down. He only came on an initial short-term deal. At the back, as you've said, Bailey Wright, Danny Bart, very experienced. Will they continue with the back three? Maybe, maybe not. If they don't, they're going to need to invest in some decent full-backs. But you feel that Sunderland are on an upward curve. They've, they've, Like I say, they've got a damn good manager in place in Alex Neal. I really rate him. And I think of the three, they will do the best. As for Wigan, I think they could go either way, personally. Obviously, we've seen them stutter in the past, but we've also seen them thrive. So I think it's going to be really interesting. But Liam Richardson's done a terrific job since taking charge there. And again, massively exceeded expectations, especially with the off-field troubles that he's had to encounter as well. So all three teams, naturally, as as you would do, they're going to arrive in the Championship with a spring in their step, brimming with confidence. But for me, I think Sunderland are, are in the best place, purely because I think on paper, they've got the best manager of those three who knows the Championship inside out. But so does Paul Warren. He's experienced it, but obviously... Only relegation. So I think each team will come up with the main objective of obviously surviving. But Sunderland, in terms of a long-term plan, they're going to want to get back to the Premier League as soon as they can. So for Sunderland, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they steamrolled straight through next season if they got things right on on the recruitment side of the things because they've got a bloody good manager in, in Alex Neal. So could be interesting. But already, I think it's shaping up to be to be in a very, very wide open season. And already looking forward to analysing it and covering it. It's going to be great. Absolutely. It's going to be a fantastic division. I think it's wide open. I genuinely believe that. We'll obviously have runners and riders um, when the transfer window's done, but I think there's a lot of scope for a lot of teams with a good summer, you know, right managerial appointments, right recruitment to go from mid-table into that playoff picture. I don't think, you know, if an Everton or a Leeds had come down, for example, then it would be a different scope. But I think there's, Anyone that's yeah. in that middle pack, you know, we've seen Bristol City sign Kai Naismith already, which is a brilliant signing. So we'll see where that goes. They'll need a lot more than Kai Naismith to, to be challenging, don't get me wrong. But I'm intrigued to see where what it looks like. And obviously we'll be doing our 1-24s to um, at the back end of July. That'll be fun as always. But uh, it's going to yeah. be a brilliant division to cover again for another we'll year. Not, we'll not bother looking back on our 1-24s to from this season. Well, we are going to do that, and that's going to be... Oh, God, that's going to put me to embarrassing shame, isn't it? Yeah, so, of course, the season is officially done, um, but we we have got another couple of podcasts that we are going to produce before we have a little bit of a break over the summer and come back nice and refreshed for you. Uh, We're going to do our awards, team of the season and managerial awards and all those sort of things. They're going to be uh, picked out on next week's pod, and then the week after, we're going to be reviewing over our 1-24s to and looking where we went horribly wrong and the odd couple that we got on the money or roughly and uh, that will take us through to the summer then so really enjoyed the podcast congratulations to Nottingham Forest and uh, the end of another week's championship chat podcast if you do enjoy the pod please do subscribe in all your usual podcast apps and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24 and sharing the podcast helps go a long way to helping us reach new listeners so if you do enjoy the weekly shows please do drop a retweet when the episodes go live and you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. Uh, the link to donate is in our podcast description in the show notes if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.